This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, November 1st. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Election Day is nearly here. Telluride celebrates Dia de los Muertos. Nadia Owusu talks life's aftershocks and a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel County Annex is well-lit and quiet on the Monday morning before Election Day. It's been much quieter than last year. That's Kath Jett, an election judge for the 2021 election. In the role, Jett says they register new voters. We change address. We obviously let people vote and we collect ballots that are the mail-in type. She notes that while in-person voting seems slower this year, that doesn't inherently mean fewer people are voting. Jet can't tell how many people are using the drop box. Over at the courthouse where they drop the ballots, they may be seeing 100 ballots a day come in when we only see five people. But while voting seems slow, Jet, along with her election judge counterparts, Barb Bellinger and Britt Hoff, are in good spirits. And they want people to get out and vote. It's your constitutional right. You can affect change. Having been an elected official myself, um, your voice matters. It really makes a difference. Bellinger chimes in. And if you're going to crab about it, then you better vote. Not just crab. <laughs> Bellinger is serving as an election judge for the first time. She says she enjoys learning all about the election process, the steps to ensure the election is fair, the bipartisan checks and balances put in place. We have um, a Republican and a Democrat check the counts of the ballots, both coming in in the morning and going out at night. We have to sign off on the ballot boxes when we open them. We do it together. Everything is bipartisan. And it's really interesting to me because there's so many people who think, oh, yeah, they're cheating and they're doing nasty things. Well, it's really hard the way they've got it set up. We do it as partners from different parties, and it would be real hard for anybody to do anything dishonest. And so if people are worried about the process, they should get involved and see how it works. A COVID transplant to the area, Bellinger says she also enjoys getting to know the community through the process. I've been sitting with, you know, two Democrats and two Republicans, and we've been talking, but we can't talk about the issues and we can't talk about the election. So we've been talking about weaving and quilting and food plans and animals (laughs) and all kinds of other things. And we've gotten to know each other. And what I've realized, I can't speak for everybody else, is that we have way more in common than we have that separates us. But you don't get a chance to talk about normal things very often. And when you do, then you discover, yeah, we're pretty much alike. At that moment, a voter pops in to drop off their ballot. And so we've got a customer. Hello um, there. Hi. They all signed and dated. They're all signed and dated. Perfect. Wonderful. Pop them right in there and there's stickers on the side. I, I voted. Oh, so advertise for us. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the 2021 election will take place on Tuesday, November 2nd. There are 24-hour ballot drop boxes at the Miramonte Building in Telluride, the Glockson Building in Norwood, and the Placerville Schoolhouse. Polling locations will also be open at the County Annex in Telluride and Norwood Town Hall from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Tuesday. KOTO will be hosting Election Night on the radio. Tune in from 6 to 9 p.m. to hear up-to-the-minute election results, an amazing election-themed playlist, and victory speeches from newly elected candidates. Go vote!
Autumn is a time for transitions. The air chills, leaves flutter from branches to the ground, and the world seems to be falling asleep. So it makes sense that it's also a time to reflect on the boundaries between the world of the living and the dead. Different cultures have different ways to do that. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more on one way some Telluride locals are taking time to honor and celebrate their dead. For Claudia Garcia Corsio, when someone in her family died, it wasn't really a time of sadness. It was more of like remembering them and thinking of the happy memories we shared with them. Garcia Corsio grew up in Mexico and every year celebrated Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. The holiday begins on November 1st and ends on the 2nd, and it's far from mournful. My first memory of Dia de los Muertos is having, going through parades, having calaveras on our face, like the face paint, and going to the cemetery and feeding my dead grandfather. He passed away the same year I was born. It's like a community celebration for the dead. For Dominique Bruno, it's her first time celebrating Dia de los Muertos this year. She grew up in Chile and observed a slightly different celebration of the dead, Dia de Todos los Santos, All Saints Day. She's excited to try out different traditions. Especially this year when we had so many uh, loss in our community, I think it's, it has, uh, it, I don't know, it, it, it hits differently, I think, for me at least. And the rest of the Telluride region has an opportunity to join in the celebration. Both Garcia Curcio and Bruno work at the Wilkinson Public Library and put up a community ofrenda, a traditional altar honoring the dead for Dia de los Muertos. For me to put an ofrenda up, there's meaning behind it and how you display the colors and what that looks like. Um, when I was little, my grandmother would always start with a blanket that's hand embroidered and what the colors mean, and she would talk about them, and then the flowers, the marigolds, and what that looks like. The library ofrenda sits in the main stairway at the center of the building. Photos of friends and family, and even pets who have passed, sit on a blanket. Paper flowers and flags and candles and colorful skulls wrap around it all. Community members have been adding their own photos. Bruno feels it's brought people together. In another setting, I wouldn't have known that, let's say, this lady lost her father like two years ago. And she was so eager to share about her father and like all the good times that they spent and like how grateful she was that her, her father lived until he was 85, if I remember correctly. So yeah, those little things, you know, and, and grief can be very lonely sometimes. And this is just such a beautiful way to go through grief together. And this isn't the first year for a Telluride ofrenda. I started it to highlight Mexican tradition, which was not very much celebrated here before my arrival at the library. And yeah, we've been creating La Ofrenda ever since. Gloria Chavira is a reference librarian at Wilkinson. She started the library ofrenda a couple years ago. The older I've gotten, the more I've connected with my culture. I was born and raised in Southern California um, with roots on both sides of my family in Mexico. And the more I age, <laughs> you know, the more I just start learning. I'm learning about my culture and connecting to my roots. Garcia Curcio adds there's also an element of equity, giving people with different traditions a space to feel more at home 
and pass on their customs to the next generation. Me growing up, I definitely struggle with my identities and not wanting to be Mexican. So for a parent to talk to their child about this is what I celebrated, it's kind of very empowering and beautiful to, to tie in and have those conversations. The wonderful irony of how important the Day of the Dead can be to the living. The Wilkinson Public Library ofrenda is up through Wednesday, November 3rd. Members of the community are still welcome to stop by with pictures of loved ones who have died to add to it. Nadia Owusu grew up across the globe, from Tanzania to Italy, time in the U.S. and the U.K. She balanced relationships with a mother who abandoned her as a young child, a father who died when she was a teen, and an at times contentious relationship with her stepmother. In her new book, Aftershocks, Owusu grapples with those relationships, struggles with mental health, and the concept of finding home. KOTO News spoke with Owusu about the book. Nadia, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me about your new book. It's, it's pretty obvious kind of from the start that there is this real tie to earthquakes in this story and in how you are kind of navigating the world. And I was hoping you could just share a little bit about where that comes from and why that was a important framing for this story for you. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Um, so I can I can talk about earthquakes on on a few levels in terms of why why they were so important in my life and why the the title of my book is aftershocks. Um, uh, so my mother left when I was two, and uh, my sister and I were raised by our our father um, who worked for UN agency, and so we moved around to a different country every couple of years. And when I was seven, and we were living in Italy. Um, after a very long absence, my mother kind of showed up unannounced uh, at our house on the same day that I learned about a catastrophic earthquake that destroyed the city of Spitak in Armenia. And my mother is Armenian-American, um, but because she left when I was so young, I was uh, not very much connected to that side of my family or to um, to uh, the places where her family came from. But um, my father always listened to the BBC World Service in the morning. And I remember that the voice on the radio was talking about the possibility of aftershocks. And, and I asked my father what aftershocks are. And he said, they are tremors that follow an earthquake, um, the earth's delayed reaction to stress. And then my mother showed up later that day and uh, she took my sister and, and, and me to lunch. And then later that evening, she dropped us back at our house and was gone again. And um, I think because she left when I was so young, I had never actually felt um, the force of that abandonment. And I think feeling it uh, for the first time at seven, um, watching her walk away, and then in my mind, sort of the kind of uh, tremors of her the sort of personal tremors of her arrival and the actual earthquake in Armenia kind of conflated in me. And I became kind of fascinated uh, with earthquakes and specifically the ways we predict and measure disaster, both private and seismic disasters. And, and this kind of obsession sort of fermented as I got older and lived through other disasters, which I sort of write about in the book, um, whether that's a civil war in Ethiopia where we lived when I was um, in elementary school, then my father died when I was 13. Um, I lived through an act of terrorism in Uganda, a shaky relationship with my stepmother, and I was at the World Trade Center on 9-11. And so all of those disasters kind of I, 
I thought about in seismic terms, which I think began sort of with that earthquake uh, of when my, my mother arrived. And then I think also one other level that I could speak about earthquakes is that um, they became kind of a guiding metaphor for my life. And as I was writing the book and trying to think about, you know, my father is from Ghana and my mother's Armenian American and we grew up um, moving, I grew up moving around so much that um, it was very difficult for me when I started to write my memoir to kind of write in a linear way. And the story of an earthquake is also not linear um, and isn't easily understood except in retrospect. And um, that's sort of how I began to think about the writing and it helped me to find sort of a structure for the book as well. Yeah, you just touched on so many things <laughs> that I would love to dig more into. And one of them is definitely your relationships with your parents. Um, obviously, your father is such a central character of this story and of your story. But then, you know, especially at the end, I mean, throughout, but then, you know, in the end, you're really talking about these relationships with with women and with your mother and your stepmother. And so I, I just love that dynamic of really having this father figure there so strong in the book, but then these relationships with your mothers um, kind of framing what that relationship with your father was in some ways. And how did you, you think about, you know, writing and investigating these three really big relationships in your life um, through the, through the book? You know, I started writing pieces of what eventually became Aftershocks as a private project. Um, it wasn't something that I necessarily thought that I was going to publish. Um, and I was coming out of a long period of, of deep depression. And I just had this really strong sense um, that in order to kind of truly find my way to a healthier place, I needed to find deeper connection um, to an understanding of the, the cultures and history that I carry in my DNA and including sort of my mother's um, history and and you know i as i said i had always been sort of disconnected from her family and disconnected from her and uh although you know my father of course um i sort of describe him in the book as the great hero of my life and he was a very strong central positive force in my life um and i lost him when i was 13 and in some ways the grief that i felt at losing my father was was clearer because he was somebody who was present in my life. But I realized, you know, uh, during that period, that I had also always been grieving the loss of my mother, but I didn't realize that I was grieving it because I didn't remember her being there. And so um, how do you grieve absence was part of the, the question that I was wrestling with. And then also this sense that maybe one way to understand, you know, the abandonment and to sort of uh, find a way to, to sort of contextualize that part of my life and to allow myself to fully understand my feelings of grief that I had to sort of um, interrogate and investigate um, the histories that she that she carried in her body. And what I found, I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but what I was trying to do was to kind of narrate myself to closer connection um, and potentially even to sort of narrate myself um, to some kind of... Um, forgiveness um, and reconciliation in some way. And so that's why I think it was really important for me to kind of write into that absence and write into that not knowing. And then also I think, you know, as, as a child, we look at our parents, all of our parents, um, for those of us who have many, um, only in the context of who they are in our lives. Um, but I think as an adult, it became important for me to kind of see them as, as fully human. 
um, and to sort of not reduce them to those kind of single stories that I had always told myself. So much of the book is looking at, you know, what does home mean? As you've mentioned, you lived in so many different places and have lived with so many different family structures in different ways as well of, you know, both place and the people really being kind of who we define of as home. Do you feel like you have a different sense of what home means to you having been through the process of, of writing this book? I think that there's this demand that is often made of people and of me definitely to see my identity as fixed. And yet I found myself, as you said, sort of navigating all of these different um, these different cultures and, and places and family structures and having to adjust myself to them. And so it was impossible for me to, to see my identity as fixed. And yet um, I always had this fear when people would ask me sort of, where are you from, that I didn't have a satisfying answer for them. And as a child, that was very stressful. You know, there was always the fear of rejection. Um, but I think sort of through the process of, of sort of writing about all of the places that I've um, loved and that I've called home at different times in my life and all of the different peoples and cultures that I belong to, yes, in complicated ways, but, but um, also in very meaningful ways that I have come to define home and family really expansively and, and to allow myself to claim all of those places and people. Um, and, you know, there was a story that I used to sort of believe about myself that, you know, people like me were sort of rootless. Um, but I think now I think of myself as having as having very broad roots, um, very wide roots and um, and also sort of believing that my love for those people in those places makes them mine in a way. Um, and that actually the complications make that love even deeper because I'm constantly striving to sort of um, understand them. Um, and and um, have this sort of strong sense of longing for them. And so that's sort of like the place where I came after came to after after a lot of sort of self-reflection and um, and also reading and writing a lot about the history of of all of those cultures and places. Nadia, I really appreciate you taking just a few minutes to chat with me today. The book is absolutely beautiful. The writing is gorgeous. Um, and so I really appreciate you taking some time and we're excited to have you share more in Tell Your Ride on Wednesday. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you for your kind words. That was author Nadia Awusu talking about her new book, Aftershocks. Awusu will be in Telluride for a writing workshop, book talk, and signing as part of the Authors Uncovered series, a partnership between the Wilkinson Public Library and Between the Covers Bookstore. The writing workshop will take place at the library from 2 to 4 p.m. on Wednesday, November 3rd. The talk will take place at 6 p.m. that same day. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Cinephiles rejoice. After a year and a half, the Nugget Theatre is back and reopening to the public. Since its COVID-induced closure in March 2020, the theatre has remained largely dark, save for a few film festivals here and there. Now the projectors are revving back to life. Upcoming screenings include Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Dune, The French Dispatch, Eternals, King Richard, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. But the inaugural flick is none other than No Time to Die, a James Bond bash that, fittingly, was also delayed due to COVID, and puts the action in lights, camera, action. Bond is slated to hit the screen at 6.15pm on Monday, November 1st and play nightly through Thursday, November 11th. 
The days are getting shorter and the nights longer. So what better time to light a flame? Or several. The Telluride Fire Festival is returning to the Box Canyon the first weekend in December for the seventh annual celebration of performance, art, and, of course, fire. For the first time, the festival will host its signature event featuring larger-than-life wood sculpture burns, flaming propane art installations, and fire spinners at the historic Pandora Mill at the end of the Box Canyon. There will also be a family-friendly circus and dance show at the Palm Theater and free-flow arts workshops throughout the weekend. Firefesters will have to show proof of COVID vaccination or provide recent negative test results. Face masks will be required for the indoor event at the Palm. The Fest is also teaming up with True North Youth Program to offer a free workshop Saturday, November 6th and Sunday, November 7th for teens to build an art installation to burn at the festival. To reserve a spot, text 970-708-1986. The 7th Telluride Fire Festival will burn bright from Friday, December 3rd to Sunday, December 5th. If you're searching to taste the Pacific Northwest, look no further than McPhee Reservoir. Colorado Parks and Wildlife will be conducting a Kakani Salmon Fish giveaway this week in Dolores. According to CPW, a relatively strong late run of the salmon out of McPhee allows for the giveaway. Most of the fish are 10 to 13 inches in size. They are a freshwater, landlocked variety of Pacific sockeye salmon. The Kokani Salmon Giveaway will begin at 3 p.m. in Joe Rowell Park in Dolores. Individuals must show a 2021 Colorado fishing license to participate. The Colorado Supreme Court has given final approval to a new map of the state's eight congressional districts. KOTO Scott Franz has more. Democrats and some Latino groups were challenging the proposed boundaries, saying Latino voters should have more influence. But the court rejected arguments that the districts were drawn unfairly. Justice Monica Marquez says the map will not please everyone, but she called this year's redistricting process a watershed moment because it was led by an independent commission for the first time. The approved map creates three districts that lean Democratic and three that lean Republican, with the remaining two rated as toss-ups. The new 8th district will stretch from North Denver to Greeley and is likely to be the most competitive. The new map is in place for the next decade. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 40% chance of snow showers tonight with mostly cloudy skies and a low around freezing. Tuesday, rain and snow showers are likely with mostly cloudy skies. The high is near 45 degrees with a low around 30. Wednesday should be mostly sunny with a high in the mid-40s. Wednesday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 30 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, November 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention parents with young children. Would you like to learn strategies to help with your child's challenging behavior? Bright Futures is partnering with Wilkinson Public Library and Telluride R1 School District to bring you another free in-person parenting workshop all about challenging behaviors. Hi, this is Madeline with Bright Futures. 
The Challenging Behaviors Parenting Workshop will take place on Wednesday, November 3rd from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. at Wilkinson Public Library. Food and child care will be provided. No registration is necessary and Spanish translation will be available. For questions, please email me at madeline at brightfuturesforchildren.org. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.